Welcome to Let's Talk Austria, the podcast for the international community in Austria. Produced by Recom Relocation in Vienna. Your host today, Angelika Brenner-Zezele, partner and CEO at Recom Relocation. If you like our podcast, please recommend it to others. If you are interested in being a guest in one of the next episodes, please write us. Our email address is podcast at recom-relocation.at. This episode is for listeners who are interested to know that Vienna has also a dark side and sad stories. Even if Austria is one of the richest countries in the world, my guest today, Nina, has an incredible story that she will share with us. Dear Nina, thank you very much for being with us today and for accepting my invitation. For a start, could you kindly introduce yourself to our audience and just tell us some basic things about you now in the present? We will talk about your past and your story in more details in a couple of minutes. Thank you for having me. I'm Nina. I'm 37 years old now. Today, or in the present, I work as a caregiver in a, a transitional dormitory for uh, homeless youth between 18 and 28. So young people who are also homeless, also drug addicted or? Depends. Some of them are. Some of them are not. And this is the Neuner House. It's called Neuner House, right? Yeah, it's called Neuner House. Um, and uh, Neuner House has a few stations to help uh, homeless people. It includes uh, transitional dormitories. There are three of them from Neuner House in three districts in Vienna. And there is also a medical center and a vet for free and for not uh, insurance homeless people. So there is a vet doctor because homeless people often have a dog with them. Why is it like this? It's often the last friend. It's also a source of heat in the winter. And yeah, you feel less lonely with a dog, with a companion. Dog owners will know it. Um, your dog is like your child. Instead of take your child away, Nina House tries to help uh, people with taking care of their so pets. It's yeah. so, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. But let's go back a little bit. Um, you were born in Vienna, right? Or yes. Mm -hmm. How was your childhood? Um, would you say that you had a normal childhood? Yeah, whatever that means. Or did you experience struggles or problems growing up? So at first I would consider my childhood pretty normal. My mom was alone, so my father left us when my younger sister was born. She's seven and a half years younger than me, mm -hmm. but my parents were never married or something like that. Um, they were separated pretty much all the time. This one year when my sister was born, they were together and then separated again. So I grew up with my mom, with my younger sister in Vienna, and when I got, I would say, 12 there were a lot of struggles. I always fought with my mom and I ran away from home. Yeah, it was not so nice. Mm -hmm. We at Recom Relocation, we took a tour with you it's some time ago because you offered tours for interested people and tell them about your life as a homeless person 
And our club Melange, it's called Meet New Friends, events for the international community in Vienna, also offers those tours with you because I think it's also a part of our society and I believe that knowing more about homelessness helps to understand the situation. So dear listeners, if you are interested in one of those tours, please go to our website www.clubmelange.at and register yourself and have a tour with Nina. I already know a few things about you. If I remember correctly, you ran away when you were at the age of 14, about. What happened before? You ran away a couple of times for a few nights already. I was not really an easy teenager, I would say. I didn't know that then, but I have borderline um, disorder. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the signs of this disorder showed already then, but I didn't know it at that time. So I started to harm myself. I started to take light drugs. So before I was really into sports. I was every day in the gym. I played volleyball in the league uh, of our school. I was um, in professional gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I did horseback riding and I also also did jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. so I was really every day of the week at least two to three hours in the gym and then I got my knee hurt badly and I was forced to stop my sports from one day to another and then the problems got only worse I started to run away from home I started to smoke weed I met friends outside of school they were pretty much older than me so I was 14 they were 16 17 18 they uh, smoked already weed and uh, they never forced me or something like this I was uh, just curious because they did it so I tried it and I had a lot of spare time free time then because my sports were gone and so yeah I was pretty much the whole day in the park smoking weed. Was also alcohol an issue? Um, not really I got one time really really drunk so uh, with I was about 14 I think I was in hospital but it was only once so I drank mm-hmm. only once really really mm-hmm. badly and then I never drank so much alcohol that I passed out or something like this because I it was that of, uh, bad of an experience yeah it scared me to death. <laughs> <laughs> so when you said you you ran away from home yeah where did you run to where did you stay and where did you sleep at the beginning? Um, at the beginning I tried to stay at friends places but they were also minors so they stayed at their parents and after one two three days the mm-hmm. parents asked uh, me if I when if is I, Nina going back home yeah right <laughs> right and so I also slept in parks I slept at my grandmother's house or at my aunt's house the sister of my father but my Mother was uh, worried, so she always sent the police after me. Didn't want to bring that sorrows to my grandmother because she was old and I didn't want to scare her because of the police and this uh, stuff. And my aunt, she also had kids, so my cousins, they were about 
I don't know, 10, 11, 12. So my aunt uh, didn't want to bring their kids in contact with the police. So that's why I couldn't stay there anymore. But um, I always could go to my grandma's house to uh, take a shower, to wash my clothes, to get something to eat, to get a warm meal or something like this. But I couldn't stay overnight. And then you went back home to your mother again and then again a few days out. And yeah. A few, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was Back and forth, back yes. and forth. Nowadays, Vienna has no shortcomings um, when it comes to homeless shelters. Were you not able to go to such a shelter? First of all, that's not really true. There are shortcomings with homeless shelters. So there, there are shortcomings? There are shortcomings. So mm-hmm. there are about 10 to 15,000 uh, homeless people in Vienna. And there are only altogether about, if I'm generous, I say 10,000 sleeping places. So there are 5,000 missing. I was not able to get to such a shelter because I was a minor and back in the days uh, there was no shelter for under 18. Did this change meanwhile? Yeah, Uh. there is one shelter for minors now, it's called Away and it's located near the Lugna city. There you're able to get there for about five days, completely anonymous, and then You can stay longer, but then they are also forced to inform the child welfare system because of the laws mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Austria. Yeah. And in those shelters, do you also get something to eat? Yeah. And you can take a shower? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can take a shower, you can change your clothes, you can wash them. Some of them, they give also clothes away for free. Mm-hmm. Some of them have uh, a concept that you can work a little bit and then you get a little bit of money or you get coupons for something to eat, for a meal, for a coffee, for something like that. Yeah. Uh, but now when I see you when you were 14 about on the street, you did not go to school during the day, right? Or At first I tried, but then I couldn't do it yeah. anymore. Yeah, right. I quit school. Did you get problems with the Stadtschulrat? <laughs> my mother Or did. Or your mother, <laughs> Yeah, yes. my mother mm-hmm. did. That's why after some time the child welfare system got included mm-hmm. because the school informed them that I'm missing and then they uh, took me away from my mother and uh, brought me to a, a flat where uh, five or six uh, minors live together with uh, caretakers. But it wasn't in Vienna. It was a little bit outside of Vienna. It was located in uh, Wiener Neustadt. It's about 30 minutes drive from Vienna and for me it was more of a punishment than a help because I got ripped out of my social environment. My friends all were in Vienna so I ran away from there also. (laughs) Yeah. Mm-hmm. The thought was probably that it's more dangerous for you in Vienna and that it's maybe... Mm-hmm. Maybe, I don't know what they thought. Maybe all other institutions were full. It's also mm-hmm. common that if there are no places left in Vienna, then they put the, the miners around Vienna somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know what But anyway, it didn't help you, mm-hmm. ran away... <laughs> <laughs> you or anyway what was your daily routine like uh, could you perhaps describe to us a typical day what did it look like depends on where i slept of mm-hmm. course but uh, when i slept in the park or i drove around the whole night with the nightline buses because it was warm and it was dry and I had a, a ticket so I could drive around with the uh, public transports at night and that's what I did 
because in the park it's not safe, it's cold. And yeah, I got out of the bus and then I tried to go to soup kitchens and got a, myself a breakfast. And yeah, and then it was pretty when much... You see Sorry, I yeah. didn't want to... A soup kitchen? Uh, what is this? There are facilities where you can get uh, something to eat for free and it's for homeless people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there are different facilities and some of them offer just breakfast, some of them offer, offer just lunch or just dinner and some of them offer all three of them. So it depends on the facility. Some of them are open every day. Some of them are only on certain days open. So it depends, but they're spread throughout Vienna. You only have to know where to go. And back then there was no internet, no smartphone. So we got the info from other homeless people or from so-called street workers, so social worker, they go on certain places in certain parks where a lot of homeless people are staying during the day and there you get these infos. And if you go to one facility, then they have the info for all other facilities also. And so I got there, yeah. Yeah, so you tried to <clears throat> go to the first facility and get a breakfast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then at first it was really that I met with my friends in the park and smoked weed uh, the whole day. Um, later, it was a little bit before child welfare put me in the in the flat in Wiener Neustadt, I met my older half-brother. So my half-brother was 18 at the time because he knew a lot of people in the nightlife of Vienna. I was able to go to certain bars, to certain discos and clubs. And there I partied all night. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I, it was no problem to find something to sleep because I was awake. And there I started to, to take these typical party drugs like speed, ecstasy, cocaine, LSD, magic mushrooms. Then I slept during the day, of course, because I was awake all night. So I slept during the day and there at that time I was able to sleep at my brother's house or at my grandma's or at a friend's place or Sometimes I went to the flat from the child welfare system in Wiener Neustadt, back to Wiener Neustadt. So I pretty much was from Monday to Wednesday, Thursday, I was in Wiener Neustadt. And then from Thursday uh, to Sunday evening, Monday morning, I was partying in Vienna. Could people tell actually by your looks that you were homeless? No, mm -hmm. because I always tried to hide it. You've got no benefits whatsoever if you look really homeless. Some people think if you look homeless then you get more help mm -hmm. because you need it the most but it's quite the opposite. So the more you look like you're homeless, the less help you get, uh, the more troubles you get with police, with security mm -hmm. or something. For example, if you try to warm yourself up in a train station or in a metro station, something like this, and you look Uh, obviously homelessness uh, homeless then it takes about five to ten minutes and the security or the police will come and take you away or will force you out and if you don't look homeless then you can stay there for hours mm -hmm. and nobody mm -hmm. will notice it so you really took care that you are dressed probably yeah. and took showers regularly yeah it was really important for me so that nobody could tell at first glance that i'm homeless so i took showers at my grandmother's house i washed my clothes there and uh, some daycare centers there apart from night shelters 
they are not regulated per age. So I was able to take their showers also, just not allowed in uh, night shelters if you're a minor, but in daycare centers they didn't check your age. So I could go there, like in soup kitchens, they also are not checking the age and could go there and take showers or um, got clothes for free sometimes. Yeah. Aren't there outreach social workers? By that I mean special trained social workers who go out on the streets to look for young people to help them. Did they approach you? Did you get in contact with them? Yeah, but not at first, not in the first year. It was later because I was not at places where social workers were at that time. So there are certain parks where a lot of homeless people are spending their day and social workers know about these places and then they will go there and approach the people there. Mm -hmm. But uh, I wasn't at these parks. I was at other parks uh, with my friends. There were no social workers. Yeah. So you did not want to get in contact with them? Yeah, because I was ashamed. I was a minor and I was afraid that they will bring me back to the facility from the child welfare system because I was missing of course because every time I ran away they called the police and uh, I was registered missing. So your mother registered you missing? At first my mother and then when I was in the flat from the child welfare system by law the child welfare system was responsible for me so they reported me missing yeah right. So were the police constantly looking for you? It's not like they're actively looking for you because maybe the first or second time they actively searching you because they're afraid that you are kidnapped or something mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. this but if you are a typical runaway then it's known by the police that you run away regularly and then they are not searching you it's like sometimes when you get into a police control then they will uh, check your ID mm -hmm. and then they will notice that you're reported missing, but they're not active searching, mm -hmm. no. And when they checked your documents and found out that you're missing, what did they do? They brought you back? Yeah, they brought me back to my mom's place at first and then later at, uh, back to the uh, facility of child welfare. I remember that at some point you started taking drugs. Would you like to tell us when and why you started taking drugs? So I already said I was taking drugs at first out of curiosity mm -hmm. so because I was bored and mm -hmm. everything forbidden was in of interest yeah was yeah. of interest <laughs> of special interest uh, because uh, I thought there, there had, uh, has to be a reason why it's uh, forbidden and so uh, it was really attractive to me yeah that was at first like uh, smoking weed I was 14 and then when I met my older half brother and I got access to bars and clubs uh, and the Viennese life nightlife I got in contact with party drugs so just there's no miss understanding my brother never gave drugs to me mm -hmm. but I could enter certain locations because he knew 
the owner or something like this. And in these clubs and bars and discotheques are a lot of, of party drugs around. And you meet people, they take drugs and you get offered them. And so, yeah, I was just curious at first and I, yeah, I tried it. So it was before my 15th birthday. I started to try speed and ecstasy. So the main substance of ecstasy is MDMA. And I tried cocaine. I tried LSD, magic mushrooms, the whole bunch. You're calling those drugs party drugs. Does this mean you're not that heavily addicted to it? Most of them you don't get physically addicted. It's possible that you get mentally addicted, but it's not that common that something like this happens because you just take it to party. So mm -hmm. you take it once, twice, maybe three times a week, but then you stop because there's no party every day. So usually. <laughs> yeah, usually. You only take them twice That's a week. That's what you call party drugs. Yeah, and party drugs because then you are able to stay awake longer because mm -hmm. these drugs make you awake. Mm -hmm. You are not tired, you, you're not able to sleep. Um, and so you can party the whole night through and you, you're not getting tired. Yeah. So how long did this period take, this party drug period? I would say six to nine months. And when did you start with heroin? I was 15 and a half. And how? Mm. Did somebody offer it to you? No, I searched for it. It was a little bit of both. Uh, it was because I ran away the whole time from the facility of child welfare system. Uh, at some point they told the court that they couldn't take the responsibility anymore because if something would happen to me when I ran away, then they would be responsible for it. So they wouldn't do it anymore. And at first they told my mom to to uh, take custody again, but my mom t told them, no, I uh, won't do it. There was a fight between my mom, the child welfare system, and my father, who would uh, need to take the bad child. This fight was nine months long, so I was 15 and three months, and uh, when I got 16, this fight was over. And in this period, I felt unwanted, unloved, uh, alone, not necessary. So, yeah, it was all these negative feelings. Was this fight at the court? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, at the court and between each other, they met and they uh, sat on the table and they discussed it. Or my father over the phone, because my father lived in Salzburg, not in Vienna, so it was only over the phone, this fight. When I was 15 and a half, I knew that some friend of mine, it's not a friend, it was a guy I knew so and he lived he was 40 at this time 40 a lot older than me and he was staying at his girlfriend's place so his flat was empty there was no electricity no running water but it was a flat and he offered me to stay there and he would come regularly to this flat and take his uh, mail I knew from the beginning that he smokes weed and then I observed 
him taking heroin. So I got curious and yeah, I asked him if I could have something and uh, he would give it to me. At first I want to take it through the nose, but it is a powder and you can take it through the nose and yeah, or you can mix it with water and heat it up and then put it in a syringe and inject yourself. And I wanted to take it through the nose, but he told me no and put all the powder in the water and told me if I want to try it, then I had to try it IV with the syringe and he would inject it to me. And I was this stupid that I said yes. Why did he suggest to... Ah, okay. In the moment. So yeah. um, I took it and it was good for me that it was a little bit too much. So every time he tried to touch me, I had to vomit. My best friend at that time came to the flat and saw me in this horrible state and called my mom and we went to the police and there was a lot of stuff going around. My mom told the police that they should do something because he's 40 and I'm a minor and he injected me drugs. Da -da 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 -da. Then there was an investigation from the police and because there was no electricity we couldn't go through his videotapes at that time there was no dvd there was videotapes then they discovered that he's a pedophile he abused a bunch of children aged between 10 and 16 and my only luck that he couldn't abuse me was that i had to vomit all the time so yeah uh, and he was, lost appetite yeah <laughs> right so good for me but besides the vomiting it was a great feeling sadly heroin from one second to another i didn't felt this loneliness this uselessness everybody knows that feeling if you wake up on weekends and you check that it's weekend and you don't have to go get up and to work or to school or something like this and you snuggle yourself in your pillow and yeah uh, in this warm and nice feeling this is the heroin feeling yeah right mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's a little bit sad because yeah if you get this feeling from somewhere else then you don't need heroin for people who don't know what heroin's taking like i would describe it also like if you're really sad and if you're really down and a loved person is uh, cheering you up comforting you and something like this a little bit of this feeling also if you stand in the rain you have an umbrella then you see the rain and you're aware of the rain but you don't feel it because you have your umbrella the same is with heroin and bad feelings you know that your situation is not great like being on the street being homeless being alone you are very aware of your surroundings and your situation but you have your heroin umbrella and so you cannot feel it on the emotional side That's such a great explanation. I never, <laughs> <laughs> because if, if if you never took heroin, you yeah. you don't know what it feels like. I'm sure there are also uh, bad side effects. Um, what does it mean? Uh, what does it do to your body? So if it's mm -hmm. just heroin and nothing else mixed within mm -hmm. it, then it's not that bad for your body. So it's not like alcohol destroys your liver for example or your your stomach but heroin destroys your teeth quite fast or do you need to take it for a long time no over a long time over years and uh, depends on the way you take heroin it has an effect on your nose mm -hmm. or on your veins mm -hmm. if it's not mixed with anything else your body uh, has no side effects you said 
it can be mixed with something else. With what can heroin be mixed? So it's always mixed with milk sugar because uh, otherwise it would be too strong. And sometimes there are tablets mixed in it like painkillers mm -hmm. or in German it's called benzodiazepam. It's like Xanax, downers. You mix it with the heroin. You can hide that the heroin is not that good because uh, this medication makes you tired and also a little mm -hmm. bit relaxed like heroin also does. You have uh, memory loss of co uh, because of this uh, medication, because of benzodiazepam. Where did you get it from regularly? Did you buy it from street dealers or did you know a few people already? So at first I bought it from street dealers, mm -hmm. but really Week, I started to meet people who sold it privately because it's cheaper and better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't need to take that much for the same effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's why I say cheaper. Uh, one gram costs on the street between 20 and 30 euro, but it's really bad heroin. Mm -hmm. So you then if you buy one gram uh, from a private dealer where one gram costs 80 euro. Mm -hmm. So because it's stronger at the private dealer and uh, not that uh, strong on the streets. How long did the effects to a drug last? Yeah, it depends on the drug, of course, but between three and 12 hours. It depends on which drug. Heroin at first lasts 12 hours and then the time f with the positive effect gets shorter and shorter and shorter. So this is a lot of money and you are living on the street. You are not uh, earning a lot of money. Where did you get the money from? A little bit earlier, before I started take heroin, I worked as a bartender in a bar uh, at night. So I could afford my party drugs before and then also my heroin at first because at first one gram lasted me for one week. It took about, I don't know, four or five months. And then I needed one gram in two days okay. and then one gram at one day and then two grams a day. It went really quickly from 80 euro a week to 80 euro in two days to 80 to 160 euro per day. But you're still 16, right? No, I was 15 and a half. Mm -hmm. And between 15 and a half and 16, I got addicted to heroin. So physically addicted. I was mentally addicted at the first heroin take. When I was 15 and nine months, I ran out of money because as a bartender, I didn't make that much. So I had to look for other options to make money. If you're on the street, if you don't have a job, if you don't have a good education, there are only three options to get that much money. The first option is everything with stealing, robbery, yeah, something like this. But it was never an option for me because I was always afraid to get caught. On the other side, I was thinking that why I should take the money from hardworking, normal people. They are not uh, responsible for my addiction, so I didn't want to involve them. The second option is prostitution not only for women, also for men. And I knew at that time a lot of girls in my age who already prostituted themselves, so I knew where to go. There's a special place for minors. It was a street and cars would uh, drive by. I wrote the number of the license plate so that uh, if something would happen, I could call the police and could give them the license plate number. So I knew where to go and I tried it once to prostitute myself and I was sitting in the car. The girls 
told me beforehand um, that I should take the money in front. This guy gave me the money and at that point I had to vomit again. <laughs> so I don't know if something bad happens, my body reacts with vomiting. So I couldn't do it. Only the thoughts of what I was supposed to do make me physically sick. So I gave him the money back and told him, I'm sorry, I cannot do this. I was really lucky. He was nice. He gave me half of the money and would let me go. Yeah, the option prostitution was also not available for me. <laughs> <laughs> Third option you have is you start to sell drugs yourself. In Vienna, at that time, it was the Karlsplatz was the main drug scene in Vienna. It's 15, 20 years ago now. You cannot go there and start to sell drugs without asking permission of the drug dealers. They are already selling drugs because if you don't ask for permission, you get only trouble. Yeah, You get uh, robbed of your drugs, your cash, you get uh, they go to the police and tell them that you're selling drugs and something like this only to get rid of you, that you cannot interfere their business. It's a difference if you sell wheat or if you sell, for example, cocaine or heroin, I decided to sell wheat because of the punishment. It was the first reason and the second reason was because I knew that heroin is a bad thing. So I didn't want to do this to somebody else. That's why I couldn't sell drugs like heroin. It was not okay with me. Uh, and after time, I was allowed to make my own business. So, And in the meantime, I was 16. This fight from the custody went all along the whole time in the background. Then it was the decision from the court that my father had to take custody of me. I didn't want to move to Salzburg and he didn't want me to move to him. He paid me a flat in Vienna, but I wasn't homeless anymore and it was a big step. You had your own business, your weed selling yeah. business. Did you sell now the weed uh, at your flat? At first on the street and then at my flat, yeah, because it was... Uh, It was less dangerous than on the Karlsplatz because on the Karlsplatz it's always police. So And in my flat it wasn't. And at that time it was really new with the mobile phones. I was 16, it was in 2002. Mobile phones were relatively new. Police couldn't listen to the cell phones at this time. Like today it was not that common or that dangerous to sell via phone. So your father helped you actually to get off the street and yeah. to have an own apartment. Yeah. So was this the end of your homeless time? At first, mm -hmm. <laughs> but mm -hmm. it was not for my whole life. I was there in the flat till I was 17 and a half. I was addicted. I tried to go to school again when I had the flat, but I couldn't manage it because I was addicted to heroin and this drug selling, drug buying, uh, drug taking. Kept you very busy probably. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then it was not possible for me to go to school. And at that time, I would need my parents' approval or my father's approval for the substitution program and he wouldn't give it to me. That's why I couldn't stop taking drugs. So you stopped again? Yeah, so I stopped career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it went on with drug selling, drug buying, da-da-da, till I was 17 and a half. Then I got 
the first time really in trouble with the police. Before, they took away a little bit of drugs here and then from me, like one gram of weed there and uh, half a gram there, but it was never that serious. But then it was like I got in a fight, in a physical fight. I told you before, I learned jiu-jitsu, so I wasn't really hurt, but the other two, they were hurt badly. I only defended myself, but the problem was I couldn't prove it at first, and... The second they were really badly hurt, I was not. These two circumstances led to my first real punishment. I got arrested. I was then altogether six months in prison, but my punishment altogether was 18 months. The other 12 months uh, I got on probation. If I would make any other bad thing, if I committed a crime in these three years, I would serve this 12 months from before and the new punishment altogether. The next three years I committed no crimes. At least I didn't get caught. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, when I go back to the time when you were in prison, uh, did you receive uh, substitute drugs in prison? Or yeah. How did you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How Methadone. did you manage this? Methadone. So if you get arrested in Vienna, they, they call the Amtsarzt. So it's uh, a higher doctor for all doctors, uh, and they check you, and you can tell them your story. If you're addicted to heroin, you show physical signs. If you don't get your heroin, so you're shaking, you're sweating, you have cramps all over your body. So it's visible for the doctor that you are on Turkey. He gave me methadone. Now it's morphine because they discovered side effects from methadone. Anyways, then I got heroin and I thought by myself when I was in prison, if I stop taking drugs and if I stop taking methadone, then I'm healthy again. I'm not uh, drug addicted anymore. That's why I reduced little by little. When I got released with 18, I was physically complete clean and I went to live with my cousin and I stayed there six months then we got in a fight because she believed that I had stolen uh, an iron from her to sell it for drugs first of all I was clean at the time and second of all if I went to my dealer with an iron <laughs> to get drugs yeah he would laugh at me right that this would be his reaction so <coughs> it was ridiculous but we mm -hmm. fought about it and then uh, we we got in a physical fight and um, so I had to leave the flat. Uh, a few days later she found her iron. iron. Yeah, She offered me to move back in again but I was too proud, too hurt, too I don't know what. So mm -hmm. I told her to F off. That when I landed on the street again. But when you came out of the prison, when you were released, did you receive any support um, from the government? No, no whatsoever. There's one thing, uh, I had to go once a month or twice a month, I'm not sure anymore, it's a long time ago, I had to go to a Bewährungshelfer, it's somebody who should help you not to get involved in any crimes anymore. In, in prison you only get really money when you are released if you stay a longer time because you're forced to work in prison and if you stay for example two three years in prison then you are released with a little bit of money and with this money you're able to get a flat but if you don't have this money and if you're not minor then you don't get any support i got 18 and two or three weeks after my 18th birthday i was released from prison if i was released 
before my 18th birthday, then the government uh, would be responsible for my stay after the prison. So, but I was uh, an adult at that time, so they weren't responsible anymore. So you were back on the street, yeah, but still clean. Yeah, mm -hmm. at first, mm -hmm. yeah. And then I went to the shelters, to the homeless shelters, because I was not minor anymore, so I was allowed to stay in, in those shelters. Um, but the problem is that approximately 90% of all homeless people are in one way or another addicted. A lot of them to alcohol, a lot of them to drugs, so there's no really a sober person in the night shelter. I was able to stay clean about five, six months, and then I relapsed again. And then the whole selling, buying, selling, buying started from new. I was able then to get a flat. Owner of the flat needed the, the flat for himself, so I got kicked out. And then I was on the streets again. I was 22 then. And then um, I went to stay with a good friend or drug dealer also his parents purchased uh, a flat for him so it was his flat but he had the hoarder syndrome so the whole flat was really full of useless stuff and one room was basically his trash can the deal was i could clean the room this trash room and could stay there and i should help him with groceries uh, shopping and this because he broke his uh, thigh and so he couldn't move that properly so he couldn't really leave the flat i went shopping for him and, and stuff like that and in return i could stay there for free i wasn't happy with the situation of course because it was a hoarder flat so it It was not really good to live in there. The shower wasn't working. The toilet wasn't working. I went to daycare centers to take a shower and, and uh, go to the toilet uh, in restaurants uh, nearby. So it was not really a good place to be. I wanted to go as quickly as possible out from there. And I went to my weed dealer and asked him if he knew some other way to make quick money other than selling wheat. And he told me, yes, you can fly to Brazil and bring one kilo cocaine to Barcelona, to Spain, and you would get 6,000 euro. Your travel costs are covered by them, so you don't have to pay for the flight, for the hotel, for something like this. Uh, everything is paid by them, and then you get uh, 6,000 euro. And if you have 6,000 euro, you are able to pay deposit from the flat, and you can buy yourself furniture and something like this, and you can go... Start a new life. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And that was my plan. So I flew to Barcelona at first to discuss the way how I should transport the coke and something like this and at first they wanted me to smuggle it in my body but I told them no there's no way I do this because it's really dangerous if you swallow it or if you uh, put it in any holes of your body that's not really a smart thing to do because if it opens especially by such amount of coke most likely that you're dead I told them they had to find another way so uh, it was first planned that I stay one and a half weeks in Barcelona two weeks in Brazil in Sao Paulo uh, and then another two weeks in Barcelona but because I refused to smuggle it in my body I had to stay four weeks in Brazil instead of two weeks and then I don't know how exactly they did it I'm, but they managed to get the cocaine 
in in your in your uh, suitcase yeah in your suitcase or in your travel bag mm-hmm. it was a travel bag there is on the bottom there is a hard floor and so that it stabilizes your travel bag and this original thing went out and the prepared thing went in and the cocaine was somehow mixed in this I don't know how they did it. Was it handbag or? Yeah, it was handbag. It was uh, like uh, the measurements were exactly, was handbag, yeah. Of course, they, it went through this um, x-ray, but I couldn't see anything because uh, it's normal that there's this stabilization thing on the bottom and it went all good and then I didn't get caught. So I received my money. It was around June. It was summer. It was cool weather. I was really happy at that time because I was on the beach all day and so uh, you brought the cocaine from brazil to spain yeah got six thousand euros yeah and came back to vienna right Mm -hmm. and you did not get caught no okay it was only a mistake in my plan to get a flat because in austria if you want to rent a private flat you have to show your income. And I couldn't go to my dealer and tell him, hey, write me a paper that I have a steady income from weed selling. So yeah, it was not possible. Um, so that's why I couldn't get a flat. I had my 6,000 euro. Every owner told me, yeah, I need your income. I need your proof of income. I need your proof of income. You had an income, but not a proof. <laughs> yeah, not a proof and not legal. <laughs> so yeah, that's why I stayed again with my friend with the hoarder syndrome. I sold wheat because I didn't want to waste my 6,000 euro. And I started to sell wheat again because I had to afford my drug addiction, of course. I was in Vienna about six months and a former customer got caught by the police for a whole nother thing. I don't know why they caught him or why they arrested him, but he told the police every little thing he knew about anybody he knew so the police started to observe over 20 people they were all making something criminal and so the police started to observe also my friend and me we we were observed for six months if i remember correctly and after this six months the vega it's a special force of vienna if you do something really really bad then not the normal police is coming like it's the vega they entered the flat at half past five in the morning with force they broke the door and they were with weapons they told us not to move and don't move get up get up show me your hands da, 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 da. like in the movie i just wanted to see it sounds like a movie yeah really like I, the SWAT team yeah i thought at first i'm in in the wrong movie it's not real yeah i was really tired then they arrested me for the second time because of what because of the drug smuggling they had no proof whatsoever that I did it just the stamp in my passport to get a better deal probably maybe I don't know why he did it probably because they observed me also six months they had proof of me selling three kilos of wheat thousand capsules of benzotirzepam so this medication I told you before like Xanax like you mix the heroin with yeah but I didn't mix the heroin it's also a common thing on the black market to sell this medication yeah they had proof of me selling it uh, like photos observed my phone so they listened to everything every call or they could uh, show me every text message and this one kilo uh, cocaine smuggling I told you before they had no proof But 
They threatened me to bring me to Spain or to Brazil, that the law enforcement of Brazil or Spain would then take care of me and I would then have to serve my uh, punishment in Brazil or in Spain. I don't know if they were allowed to do that. So it's better to be in the prison in Austria. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. a lot better to be. It's not never good to be in prison, yeah. but it's a lot better to be in Austria than in Spain or in mm -hmm. Brazil. So I cannot speak Spanish and I speak only a little Portuguese. So yeah, I confessed that I was smuggling the, the one kilo cocaine. In the end, I was convicted for one kilo cocaine smuggling, three kilo weed selling, 1.6 kilo heroin and cocaine selling, the thousand capsules of Uh, benzodiazepam like Xanax. So you ended up in the prison again? Yeah. For how long? Court appointment was four months, but I was in prison this time, so I couldn't get out. In Austria, there's no such bail system like in the US. Uh, and then I convicted to three years in prison. And three years is a magical number in the drug scene or in the criminal drug scene. Like Normally you get, for those amount of drugs, selling, smuggling, the punishment is between five to ten years in prison. But my judge was really nice. Was it the same judge you had before? No, or no? It, was, no mm -hmm. it was another because the first was a youth oh, yes. judge mm -hmm. and then I was uh, an adult. adult. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. He was really nice and really understanding. In Austria, it's like if you get not more than three years sentence, you're able to apply for therapy instead of punishment. It's really rare that the judge offers this. Another thing, not every criminal can apply for, for therapy instead of punishment. It's only if you commit the crime just because you're addicted yourself and you only finance your drug addiction Yeah, with the drug selling. It's, it's not only drug selling, also if you steal money from somebody, for example, and you can tell the judge, look, I'm addicted and I needed the money for drugs. In my case, the judge offered me the therapy mm -hmm. instead of punishment. And I was then another two months in prison. So all in all, six months again, till I was released to a therapy where you have to be completely clean. You are not allowed to be substituted. I got kicked out after six weeks. I relapsed again. And I don't know, after five, six months, I got a letter from my judge uh, basically saying, if you're not till this date in a state therapy then uh, I will send the police after you and they'll take you to prison again and that's what I did I thought about my life and uh, I lost at that point a lot of friends I really thought about it if I wanted to go like really early really young and I came to the conclusion that's not that what I want I got myself in the substitution program and then I went to the one and only therapy at that time and I was there one year stationary so I was an impatient you are not allowed to go anywhere and then step by step you're allowed to go four hours out eight hours da, da, da. I went during the week to the school got my books and my papers I went back to the therapy I learned there myself without teachers or something like this when I was ready I made my exams and I graduated from school when was this I was 25 to 26. Today, are you still on substitute? Yes. Program? Mm -hmm. Yes. But I plan to go off it like in the next 
one and a half years. And finally, you were on substitute for how long? Since the therapy, like 12 years. 12 now. years. Yeah, mm-hmm. but after the therapy, I never relapsed again. So I never took heroin again. One and a half year ago, I stopped smoking normal cigarettes, switched on e-cigarettes, like I, I'm vaping now, like the last six months without nicotine. To anything? To anything except and the substitution, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you took finally 12 years... Uh, you were on the substitute program. Mm-hmm. You are not homeless any longer since? It was a little bit of an up and down after yeah. the therapy. I was in the second house of my grandmother. So she has a flat and a, and a garden. Short after therapy, I met my now husband. He never took drugs or something like this. So he was a, a big support. And he moved in with me. And then my mom needed to move in also in this house so we had to move out and then we were together on the streets because we lived in a tent in the woods till November so it was really cold and then I discovered that I am pregnant and so we got to the shelter we were then three months in the shelter and then we got a place in a transitional dormitory then my son was born and then we had a flat, a council flat. My husband earned really good money and we decided to go to a private flat and it was the biggest mistake we made because after two years company where my husband uh, was working they shut down because uh, they got no money. Bankrupt? Yeah, they were bankrupt. The owner from the private flat, uh, he wouldn't wait till my husband would get the unemployment money. And so we had to move out. We moved in a transitional housing, transitional dormitory for families. Then you have the possibility to get a really nice caseworker. She or he would help you and, and support you to get a flat, blah, blah, blah. And if you're not lucky, you get a bad caseworker. Your child is removed from you, put in a flat with other children, and you lose your place in the family transitional dormitory because you are not a family anymore. Your child is taken away. And that's what happened to us, sadly. So you had a bad case yeah. worker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she was really not nice. She told me, because I'm a former drug addict and all this stuff I'm not a good person basically and I shouldn't have kids and that's why she took my son away and we had to move in another transitional dormitory for other adults that's where we are now since four years now in these four years I started to work at first for a company they offer tours for uh, uh, to educate uh, about homelessness and drug addiction now I'm a caretaker for homeless people (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From homeless to caretaker, yeah. <laughs> you, this is so incredible. So thanks. <laughs> Nina, it's so incredible your story. I don't know what to see. You are a very great. You are such a great person. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Your son is still not with you, but I think there is a chance that he will come back to you and your husband, right? Right, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's a pretty good chance. We are saving now for over one year, and if we have the the money together for the deposit and for furniture, then we we are planning to move a little bit outside of Vienna. Uh, It's called Hollabrunn. Because it's a bit cheaper outside of Vienna. Yeah, it's a Mm -hmm. bit cheaper, and I wouldn't be able to afford a three, four, 
four room flat in Vienna, but in Hollerbrunn uh, it, it's cheaper. And then there's a pretty, pretty good chance that uh, our son uh, is going to uh, be with us. Uh, I'm in contact regularly with him. And you see him every week? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I call him, And but yeah, he wants uh, to go home. How old is he now? Nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think my last question would be, is there any advice you would give young people so that they don't end up taking drugs? Or is this a too difficult question or too general? I think the reasons why somebody is taking drugs, they're really, really different. So there's not a common recipe to not take drugs or to prevent it. But I can really say that if you have only one person who believes in you who supports you and he's who's there whatever then it's a really good help and a really good chance that you're not taking drugs or that you not get addicted there's one facility it's not a therapy but they educate about drugs and you also can test your drugs for free and anonymous there you can also go there and talk to somebody or to take it Advice. This is a really, really good place to educate yourself. Nina, thank you so much for giving us all the insights and for sharing with us your life. Today you are working as a caretaker. Yeah. Uh, you are still doing tours where you educate people about homelessness, where you show the places um, where you have stayed. Yeah. And uh, you are telling how life uh, is as a homeless person and as a drug addicted person. And we have the pleasure to have you as a guide. I hope many people register because that's part of your income, right? Yeah, it's part of my income. I worked um, a long time at a company, but I was not able to uh, form the, the tours like I wanted to be. So I decided to quit that job at the company and make my own tour it's more connected to my personal experience um, I have the freedom to go wherever I want to, to say what, whatever I want and I can manage my time freely so you are self-employed and today you are a businesswoman right <laughs> caretaker and businesswoman yeah if you want to say it like this yeah absolutely I want to say it like this <laughs> Thank you very much, Nina, for the interview. You're welcome. And we're staying in touch. Thanks. Uh, Thanks a lot for having me. And thanks for the opportunity to uh, share my story. And yeah, have a nice day. (laughs) You too. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. Maybe you would also like to join our Club Melange, Meet New Friends. We organize great and fun events for the international community in Vienna. Check out the next upcoming events at www.recom-relocation.at. Our clients also love our intercultural trainings presented by Martin Pei, partner and CEO at Recom Relocation. Martin is a certified intercultural trainer. Check it out and find out yourself what it means living in Austria and how weird the Austrians really are. Thanks for listening.